How's it going on this great Wednesday afternoon? My name is Hayden Joyner and this is Off the Bench, your top sports talk show here on XLR Lander University Radio. I am joined with my co-host as always, Liam Worley. How you doing, man? Not too bad. How are you? I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty good. It's, it's pretty, pretty pretty rainy outside today and uh, Yeah, it's on had, and off. It's had some uh, had bit. some weird car trouble. I mentioned you before the show, but uh yeah. I've had this is kind of funny. My passenger door side window or my passenger door handle has been broken for like the last three or four months, right? Yeah. You you pull it, nothing happens. You gotta like open it from the inside. Well, uh, now my driver's side door handle is also broken, so I have to go to the back seat to get into my car right now. So wow. So I'll get it fixed at some point. It's not that big of a hassle. It's really like the driver's side. It'll open maybe once every ten pulls, but it's like it's completely random guess about which of those pulls will actually work. Yeah. I've had to like hit it really hard for it to actually like work. So I've never really heard of anything like that happening. That's kind of strange. I, well, what's funny is my passenger side one broke like a year ago, fixed it, and it broke again. And now the driver's side's broken. But yeah, it's whatever. We're stuck here on campus. I don't drive too much, yeah. just on the weekends. But but you know that that's about been it. But as for uh, I don't know. That's that's how it's gone. That's just, how it's gone. I'll, I'll fix it. But uh, yeah, tons of uh, speaking of cars a little bit racing this weekend. Tons of stuff. We previewed it last episode. If y'all listened, Bristol Dirt Race, the Food City Dirt Race, and the Bahrain Grand Prix for F1 both happened this weekend. Super exciting races as it was the debut for F1 2021 season and Bristol Dirt being the first dirt dirt race for NASCAR in how long? Lee, like sixty something, seventy something years. Fifty one years. Fifty one years. Yeah. So tons tons of stuff for racing fans this past weekend we'll start off with bristol dirt um martin tricks jr winning stage one uh joey Gallardo won stage two i believe and then mm-hmm. he ended up coming to finish in first place finished the race your guy chase elliott to sell a 10th place but uh my first thought my first question for you liam is you know we previewed this preview this race last week we said you know guys like larson and bell are gonna be the favorites and they ended up getting in a collision about halfway through the race together but yeah was was the top three of logano stenhouse hamlin what you would have anywhere thought would be the final for that race so i knew stenhouse had a lot of dirt experience in his day but his car you know on that on the nascar side of things is usually about a 20th to 25th place car Mm -hmm. so i was expecting him to maybe you know crack the top 10 but a second was kind of unprecedented for him but uh joey logano and denny hamlin i like after the truck race you know there were some there were some big dirt names in that race too and martin truex ended up winning uh, you know, I was kind of like, well, maybe we're going to see a different, you know, set of drivers do better mm-hmm. than we originally thought uh, uh, come the cup race. And since they didn't get their heat race qualifying uh, in, you know, it kind of allowed some of the, you know, better guys who had better seasons up to this point start up front. And, you know, most of them kind of stayed up there like Logano and Hamlin and Truex would have done the same. But uh, he had a flat tire with about two laps left and ended up finishing like 19th or something so yeah well your man your man chase elliott 10th place and then like i already mentioned christopher bell kyle larson two of the the favorites going into it not very or they had a decent race and then the the wrecks came but just like the track conditions the race was obviously rain delayed off a sunday for a little bit because of it was it was pouring down torrential rain in bristol and just the southeast has been getting a bunch of rain here recently but Apart from all that, and I know there's kind of like there's weird like during the race we had tons of wrecks were happening. There was one point in stage one, I think it was on like laps forty through fifty or something. There was a wreck like every five laps or so it seemed. Or there was mm-hmm. just cars spinning. And what I really noticed like was was different was you know you're on dirt. It's one it's dirt for one short track in Bristol. 
you'd have a guy spin out and then the car's behind and they can't dodge as well they right. just kind of hit the brakes and they don't have you're sliding much, they don't have as much room to go and, yeah you no know. grip no room yeah. and you're just kind of there's so many instances where a car would just slide and just run into somebody. It was just, you know, you're on dirt, so mm-hmm. it's just like a slip and slide out there. So Yeah, I mean, visibility was a big issue. Uh, I mean, they'd never raced on dirt tires before, so, you know, instead of, say, their right front wearing out at Bristol like it usually would, it, you know, turned into their right rear is what mm-hmm. they were putting all the pressure on. So it was just a bunch of new things that they had to learn. And then didn't they switch to, like, single-file restarts, like, halfway through the race, too? Yeah. Like, I think it was start of the last stage because um, maybe not start, maybe a few laps into it or something because mm-hmm. there was, like, two or three restarts in a row where there was three cars, you know, taken out uh, every time because of wrecks. Uh, yeah. Because just the dust visibility is terrible on restarts, so... Now, like I heard when I was listening, like some stuff after the race, like how big of an issue dust was. You could kind of, you could see it on the the television screens, obviously, mm-hmm. but like like inboard, like the the dash cams of like cars, like it was. I I couldn't do it out. I mean, I'm not a racing driver anyway, but like I couldn't race with that kind of visibility. It, yeah. But they've already they've already noted that they're going to do this again next year, aren't they? Yeah. They've already said that they're going to. Well, I mean, it was kind of an experiment. It's the first time they've done it in yeah modern era NASCAR. So you know, they I think they did a good job. I think it went probably better than we expected it. I mean, you know, I I definitely thought so. And, you know, I thought a lot of the drivers were putting in work for it. So we may even see more than one dirt race, you know, Hmm. come next year's schedule or something. But, you know, there was a lot of people who were upset with how this one went and upset that they already announced one. But I can definitely understand it. And it's, you know, if COVID's gone uh, by next year, I expect the stands to be full. Yeah, there was there was a, a decent number of fans in the stadium I, you could see in the broadcast. It wasn't anywhere near full, but there, there was still well, a decent Yeah, number. I mean, they weren't letting full capacity. I think there would have been full capacity for the first race at least. Uh you know whether people thought it was bad or not, but yeah, they still have COVID regulations might have to, still to follow. Bring, might have to still bring masks to that race just because of the dust alone. You know, yeah. that's, you're gonna. See There's it. people wearing goggles and like ponchos and stuff. I just, know, just for the dust. <laughs> yeah, like I have to wear like an N95 because you're gonna just breathe all that crap in. It's, mm-hmm. it's gonna be everywhere on the race, but it's exciting they're gonna do it next year. I think it's definitely you know it's interesting. I'm assuming they'll do it at Bristol again. There's not really another track. I think they could maybe like Martinsville, but uh, Martinsville they, they wouldn't dirt up. They wouldn't dirt up Daytona or, or a Super Speedway. No. they got to do a tiny track yeah well so. for just because of workforce and uh definitely like uh if you're going 150 <laughs> 170 on dirt god knows what's going to happen then see i mean i'd watch a dirt daytona 500 oh sure. i would too i but mean there'd be like three <laughs> b- broken and battered cars come the end there'd, yeah there'd be <laughs> just about three cars left at the end of it but yeah that's interesting. I, I like the addition of the dirt tracks for NASCAR. I mean, they've been advertising this as the greatest season ever and mm-hmm. doing a ton of different stuff, which is which is cool and all. And then, you know, having the dirt tracks, it brings tons of different audiences into it. You know, you have a lot of the old traditional NASCAR fans who love the dirt stuff. Or just like you were talking about last week, like people just love going to their local track, local dirt tracks and mm-hmm. watching. They'll now maybe turn to watching more NASCAR if there's a dirt track, or at least yeah. specifically for that race. At least for a week it. or so, and it might, you know hook a few few exactly. more people for next week and the rest of the season that's the whole point of what they're doing they're trying to do something different to bring in different audiences to hook them yeah so i, I think i think it, it was a fun race it's definitely something they should uh i mean they should look forward to doing again yeah i think i think they'll do better even next year just because they how they'll have a better sense of what's going
going on. They'll know how mm-hmm. to tr- tr- uh, prep the track better and all that good stuff. Now they said it's going to be Bristol again. Mm-hmm. Or do, okay, so no, no, no Daytonas or anything. But no, no, no Martinsville or Richmond's. But nope. may, maybe they'll switch it up. We'll, we'll wait and see. But uh, other race race that took place before this, the Bahrain Grand Prix for F1 season debut. T- I mean, this race. If, if you watched any F1 of last year, you can see a difference in, yeah. in the quality of racing from last year to this year. And, you know, I I mean, personally, I didn't think there was going to be this big of a jump. I mean, besides, like, the midfield seems really tight, as yeah. usual. It was last year. I mean, last year was a tight midfield, more than we've seen in a while. This year, it seems to be just as about as good. But with the addition of Red Bull taking a step up and now really do- permanently challenging Mercedes. They, you could see them building for they building towards it. that last year, yeah. you know, with Max's Abu Dhabi Grand Prix performance at the end of the season. But now, you know, it's apparent that on strategy and on pace they can they can challenge Mercedes. I think they're I think if they work on their strategy just a little bit more cuz Toto mm-hmm. Wolff's a genius when it comes to that with Mercedes. Mm-hmm. And you know, Christian Horner, he's you know, he's been around the sport a long time too and won championships with Vettel, but uh, I just think, you know, if they get that little bit down, I think Red Bull's speed may be even better yeah. than Mercedes. At least it looked like it this one race. It was a small sample size, and they did well in testing, but still. Yeah, on like a single lap pace, I think Red Bull has it. And the strategy for this race, for at least for Max, it's it was kind of interesting to me. You know, they start out in the lead, he had the lead, and then Hamilton pitted first, trying to do an undercut, and Max stayed out for like five or six laps mm-hmm. and became, once he pitted, he was down probably, what, 10 seconds to Hamilton, mm-hmm. but he was on fresher tires, so he'd catch back up, and then they'd pit pit, he'd be down again, catch back up, and then... Yeah, they did that twice. They did it twice, and at the end of the race, he caught back up, and then uh, yeah. all, all hell broke loose at the end, but as the main sticking point for this race was that turn four incident, I believe it was, what, lap 52 or 53? Yeah, right 52, at the end, I believe. Out of 56 total laps, Max Verstappen overtook Hamilton around the outside, turn four, and uh, went off the track to do it, but Hamilton was going off the track pretty much the entire race, not to overtake anybody, but yeah. just to, to set his lap times. And that's where the controversy for this race decided to, to occur. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, in the rules of F1 and all that, you can't overtake off the track and come back on the track to gain an advantage. That's like a clear stated pretty much rule, which is what Max did. He went off the track, overtook Hamilton, which is gaining an advantage. That's the term they use. Yeah. But where the a lot of the controversy was driven from was because Hamilton was going off the track on turn four as well to the whole race. Like the whole, it was what like twenty nine laps or something like that, or twenty. He had been doing it longer in Max, and they let Max know with about thirty laps left that yeah. he could go over the boundary. Yeah, he's, they're like Red Bull was like they're not getting mad at Hamilton, and he's probably gaining like maybe point two seconds a lap yeah. by doing this so you might as well do it too yeah and then max overtook on the outside at the end of the race and they ended up making him give the spot back to hamilton and then max go, by going off the track had some dirt on his tires yeah well that and you know used up his tires used a little up, more because yeah, he was trying know, to pass yeah and uh i mean he was faster the last two <laughs> laps of the race but you know not enough time and to just get in that DRS it's really trickle uh tricky to pass people in f1 in the first place so so like, like what do you think about this whole controversy stuff i mean with hamilton with the gaining the advantage of you know he wasn't passing anybody on those 20 some odd laps he was going off the track but he was gaining roughly you know 0.2 point three a, a lap and gaining that much over the course of you know 50 tw- laps yeah that's you're gaining probably i can't do seconds, the math something yeah, like that like, like eight nine ten seconds of race time which is a ton yeah so like what do you think Liam about, about all that uh I just think you know they it's you got to make it right for everyone or wrong for everyone 
And I understand that Max took, you know, Pat overtook him off the track, but I think it's kind of bullcrap that he had to give the position back. I think mm-hmm. Max had the best race going out of anybody uh, and, you know, had the most speed. I think he was deserving to be the winner more than Lewis was. But I, I can understand uh, that race control had to do that. I just would like to see him be more clear ahead of time uh, on the rules regarding stuff like that and then, you know, make uh, steady uh, outcomes with all of those, you know, like whether it's a time penalty or mm-hmm. you have to give the position back, whatever. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing I'm wanting as well. Like just for the FIA to make it and race control to make it very clear that like if you go off the track, you're going to be penalized for it. Like you can't let Hamilton do it 20 some odd times and not have any repercussions. But if Max does it once just to overtake, it's bad. You make Hamilton do it. If you do it five times, give him give him a warning and then a five second penalty for each, you know, every instance he does it. Because you got to tell him like you can't do it. Yeah. Because if Max is going to have to give up that place, and if he didn't, he probably would have got a five- or ten-second penalty. He would have gotten a penalty that was enough to give Hamilton the win yeah. if he didn't give up that place because that would probably really piss off race control. Mm-hmm. But he ended up giving the the, uh, the place back to Hamilton, which you could have – there was also in the argument he didn't have to give it up at that moment. You could have waited till that back straight before the, the pit straight to you know give it back to Hamilton, then you get the DRS immediately. That's true. I've seen that a lot. Instead of giving it up on that uh, that kind of middle straight, the the last DRS yeah. zone, where then you're going to a technical section, which is where Max ended up losing some of his rear tire and slid a little bit, which lost him time, got out of DRS range. Well, Max was so fast in sector two. He had like eight-tenths a second yeah. every lap on Lewis. So, uh, I mean, like it would have been smarter if Max would have done that, but I can see why he didn't. Too. Yeah, because I'm sure you had, you, had, you had Christian Horner in his ear yelling like, Max, FYA is yelling at us. Mm-hmm. Give the place back up because you know if you give it up immediately, that gives you more time to pass him. But you might not be setting yourself up for the best opportunity to pass him. Well, I think I think Max thought he could have gained some more ground in sector two, and then yeah. which would have put him in DRS range, the exact same mm-hmm. uh, scenario the next lap. But you know it didn't happen that way. Yeah, I mean by by him slowing up on that straight, he lost some of the momentum. He would have had to go into yeah. that that S section at the end of the track. So I mean, think about it though, too. Max is only twenty three; still a young driver. Mm-hmm. That, doesn't have near as much experience as Hamilton. So crazy. He's twenty. He's been F one like seven years, something like five, that. six maybe. Yeah, that's that's, that's, he was that's crazy. Eighteen is when he started. So eighteen five. or seventeen? Yeah, I think I think eighteen. I don't know. I don't know either. But he started when before I younger than I was. Yeah, he was in high school at least or something. Or he probably wasn't even in school technically. But I mean, that's same same deal for NASCAR. Yeah, but crazy young. Are Ham- you are you fact checking me? No, I'm actually checking how old Hamilton is because oh. I was curious. He's 36, but yeah. see, that's that's older than I thought he really was. I figured he'd still be in his like 33s, but you know, th- I mean, this the, the, this battle between these two guys, it's something that fans have been wanting to see for a while. Obviously, these two are regarded as probably the two, one of the two best racers, best you know, pure talents in F1 currently. Yeah. So having at least you know, depending if ha- Hamilton somehow retires at the end of this year, or how many years he has left getting at least one season where they can battle it out for a title. I mean, just in general, having two drivers battle out for a title is something we haven't really seen for a while. Vettel and Hamilton did it in 2018, and then obviously had Rosberg and Hamilton in 2016. But apart from that, Valtteri hasn't done jack squat to battle Hamilton for the title at all. It's really been an out either Rosberg or or Vettel, which Vettel only had the really good chance in 2018 when um, Ferrari was really dominant then. Yeah, that was such... I remember that year. That was a good year. But see, see, it's a good year when you get a championship battle. So hopefully we get it this year. Obviously, track limits are going to be a topic for the next couple of weeks because it's, it's like three weeks until Imola. 
So mm-hmm. we have a while. Luckily at Imola, there's not going to be any off-the-track you know, controversies because if you go off the track in Imola, you're in gravel and grass. So yeah. It's, it's a it's an actual racetrack. Going to ruin your race. Yeah, it's not a parking lot track like Bahrain. So Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens then. But uh, like other notes for this race... Um, yeah, you had uh, you had Mazepin spinning out in the first uh, first whatever it is like a couple turns, ruined his race immediately. I so. like how everybody's you know <laughs> being a keyboard warrior saying he's already not uh, deserving of a, a of race F1 seat, seat <laughs> which you know based on our sample size I would agree. But you know you, you know him, Mick did it like a lap later. He he yeah. bent it and turned I think after turn four. You give it, you give it three or four more races. You know we might see a top. 12 or something out of Mazepin. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see. You never know. I don't know if that Haas is even capable of a top 15, but I don't know. It's slow. Um, <laughs> but that happened. Standout as well. Sergio Perez last to fifth place in his debut. How how are you thinking about that? You think, I mean... I just think it proves how much speed the Red Bulls have. Yeah. I mean, you know... Well, is, this, is that like, is, is that comeback a car thing or a Perez thing? Both. Uh-huh. He, I mean, he's always been a really good driver. He's always mm-hmm. outperformed his gear. As we saw, especially with last year in the racing point, you know, they were, you know, eighth place cars most of the time, mm-hmm. and he was vying for a lot of podiums. But uh, I, I think, you know, it's the combination of it, I think it's going to be good for him. I think Perez maybe gets two wins or something this year Ooh. and is going to, you know, prove that Red Bull can be just as good as Mercedes, and it's going to be uh, partly because of him and, you know, obviously their new their new gear. Yeah, I mean, if if... If Perez hadn't had that mechanical issue at the start of the race and having to start from the pit lane dead last, I pr- I'm I'm fairly convinced if he had even started 11th, which his 11th qualifying was scrutinized a bunch, but that's partly on Red Bull's fault because they put him out there on mediums yeah. when they might not have the pace there for Q2. But you know, Perez going from uh, from last to fifth, if he had started 11th and had the race normal, I'm sure he could have challenged Bottas, especially with Bottas's like 10 second Definitely. pit stop. He could have challenged that for third. And if yeah, I mean, even with Hamilton winning, if you had a Red Bull two three, that's that's very successful for them in the first race. It's been great points for them. I mean, heck, they pitted they pitted Valtteri with like two laps left, so he could go for a fastest lap yeah. for the fastest lap, which he ended up getting. Uh-huh. But you know, let's say let's say Checo is out there, you know, vying for third or fourth position with him. The, he's not going to do that, take away at least one point from Mercedes because they're going to be so yeah. occupied on each other. And if I'm not wrong, I think Max had the fastest lap before Valtteri. I, I so believe that would have so. been a point for Red Bull. So. Yeah. And, I mean, everyone knows Valtteri's not good under pressure. So yeah. Yeah, I, I, mean, think, I think I think Checo probably would have gotten the Exactly. Like, he wasn't – I mean, Va- Valtteri wasn't challenged too much last year because, you know, you, you had it was always Hamilton, then he, Valtteri was in the middle, and then – uh, Max was a little bit far back. Just Hamilton has to have a bad race, and Max has to have a bad race for Valtteri to win. Yeah, we saw that every time. Like um, he won what? He won like maybe two or three races last year. I, can't I don't remember. Really think he's got seven or eight wins. But I remember last year, at least two of his wins. One was Austria in the opening, when which Hamilton never wins opening races. It was like his first opening win in like six something years. Mm-hmm. But Valtteri won that partially in, in due to Hamilton had the five second penalty for causing a collision with Albon. And then Russia, another one of Valtteri's victories. Hamilton had like a ten-second stop-go penalty. And yeah, he got, he came in from leading the race. That's so. exactly like yeah. he's got nine wins, which is underperforming with what he has. I mean, like what we saw with Nico Rosberg and Lewis mm-hmm. in 2016. You know, one would win one race, one would win another, and you know Seb would end up somewhere in between sometimes. But yeah, they were going back and forth a lot more than they have been since Valtteri took over that seat. Exactly. So Valtteri, I'm. 
like this race, I mean, he was only about six seconds off Lewis for the most of the race, apart from when he got the 10 second mm-hmm. pit stop when they screwed up one of his tires. But which isn't his fault. But yeah, still, he always claims he has bad luck, which for for for, for some instances is true. He, he gets all these pit stop errors That's fairly often. Like saying often, Kyle Busch always has bad luck. He at least has success to to counteract yeah, exactly. it. Valtteri just has the bad luck and doesn't really perform anywhere else for it. But. You know, I think if Valtteri doesn't pick something up this year, if he doesn't, I mean, if he doesn't come second in the constructor or in the drivers, at least, I yeah. think he's out of this. I think second with like four wins is what That's he would what have he to needs. do. Because Max can get second with four or five wins if they can keep the pace Easy. up they have now. Yeah, he should be challenging. And and, and Red Bull was they were pretty competitive at Imola last year, so we'll see how that goes. But you know, Land- as for like the Lando. Uh, Lando? Yeah, let's talk about Lando. All right, what do you want to say about Lando? Fourth place for McLaren, Fourth solid place. points, yeah. The dude, he went like, there was no coverage on him the whole race. There really wasn't. I mean, well, what's well, fun, like the whole, well, it was crazy, right, about watching this race, like you just said that. The whole thing was on Max and Lewis the whole mm-hmm. time. Like, I think I even looked up at one point, and Alonzo, you know, he had just retired from the race, and I didn't hear anything about it. I didn't even know why he retired. He was on there brake failure or something yeah he was on there for like 20 seconds and then they were like you back know, to max and lewis back to max and they sh- they shoot yuki a little bit which yeah they showed because he, he had a couple he had maybe a couple passes, something we talk about here in a second it I was literally was really good. like i had to say like 70 percent of the broadcast was just max and lewis just yeah. going at each other which is a little i mean i understand it it was a good race yeah. but you know at the same time let's, let's see a little variety yeah we had the one good fight of alonzo vettel and signs for a while that they was showed. good that, that was, was really good, good. Um, but like with Lando Norris, fourth place, which is phenomenal for it's it's kind of what we all expected out of McLaren. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people thought McLaren were better than they were in the race. If that makes sense, a lot of people were saying they could challenge Red Bull or Mercedes for like podiums a lot. Nah. But I still think they're solidly in the midfield, but top of the midfield. I think they're do- the fastest team in the midfield. But I, yeah, I said last week, and I'm even more uh, about it this week. I think they get a win. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely if if, if the cards fall in their like if they if they fall right they're gonna win i you know i don't even think they necessarily have to fall right i think if you know like they just have the pure pace to do it no i don't think that but like you know if there's a just a little bit slower pit stop Mm. i think daniel ricardo or lando is going to be running like third one race because they're really good at Mm -hmm. that track or you know they just have a little bit better strategy than the other teams that week i think uh i think danny or uh Lando could definitely steal yeah. the win. They were very strong in like the power tracks last year. I remember like at least with um they with had a lot it? of they had a lot of fastest laps. Yeah, like like in Monza, I remember like signs was qualifying like like in, even in like Q2 and Q3, he was up there like second third. Like he, he was well, ahead of Max he and like, was taking uh, there was one wet race last year where he passed like seven cars on the first lap and took the lead. Yeah, that was um, ooh, 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 that was Portugal. Like it was yeah. raining for like the first couple of laps. Mm-hmm. He got in the lead and held it for like three or four laps. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. You yeah, know, considering no one ever expects Carlos Sainz to lead a lap. Yeah, so. exactly. He, yeah, that was that was Portugal, I believe. But you know, McLaren, they definitely. I mean, in this past race, they they're solid third in the constructors right now, which bounces off my Ferrari third, which I was close. They're fourth now. I was very close with that. Leclerc, Leclerc looks good. Yeah, Leclerc Signs good. will get better as he adapts to his new stuff. Mm-hmm. But, like, the whole thing, like, you know, you had Norris fourth, Leclerc fifth, or uh, you had ended up Paris fifth. But for mm-hmm. majority of the race, it was Norris, Leclerc, Ricardo, and fourth, fifth, sixth for, like, the whole race. Yeah. And that was kind of an underrated battle. Norris and, Norris and Leclerc had a good battle at the start of the race, and then Ricardo was kind of up and down. He couldn't really keep up with those two. He was he was constantly around eight, nine seconds behind Leclerc. But He's probably too busy, like, just having a yeah. good time racing a car. Yeah, just, you know, having something competitive. And, um, yeah. 
you know he's he's getting he's getting used to that stuff. So yeah. so he'll he'll get with it and he'll be up there with Lando. But Lando's first lap overtake on Ricardo really set him up well. Lando does that take overtake into turn four on the outside like every year mm-hmm. I've seen. So for for McLaren, I definitely think you know they can get a win out of this stuff and they looked very they looked very strong this race and they're solidly third in the constructors. Ferrari fourth, which I think is a little higher than I thought. You know mm-hmm. I figured you know one of them would bend it somewhere. Uh, Leclerc had. Uh, not the best races there last year so yeah you know he obviously had the wreck and secure and then he ended up i think like 10th in bahrain last year finished so a third uh sixth place for him solid but i definitely i'm just this whole season is going to be very entertaining i think it'll be a lot you know more competitive than what we're used to seeing yeah so it's just gonna i'm gonna have to get used to not having a race every week like we did last year because they fit like a what like a 20 race season in about half a half a year last year yeah which was great yeah yeah they were doing three races a month compared to one or two like they usually do it yeah because it's literally the race weekend i believe is april 16th to 18th for mls and that's three weeks from now so yeah so we'll, we'll be done with the we'll be do, we'll be done with the uh, with the F one talk for a while unless some weird something weird comes up. But and until, there's no NASCAR this weekend, so that's sad too. Yeah, no racing. You just have. Man, what uh, am I going to do with myself? Watch the NCAA Final Four, I guess, which we will, uh, <laughs> which we will get into the next section. But we'll go into a quick break, guys. When we get back, we will be talking some NCAA Final Four, UCLA's incredible run. If Gonzaga can continue being undefeated and become just the second team ever to complete an undefeated season in the NCAA. So guys, stay tuned and look forward to that as well. If you do not follow us on social media, be sure to follow us on there. We are at Off the Bench XLR on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok as well. We are now on YouTube if you look up Off the Bench or go to the links in our social media bios. You can find us on YouTube for some long-form video content, at least one a week from this show. So again, check us out on all those platforms. Links are in our bios on our instagram twitter and facebook again that is at off the bench xlr on those and on tiktok but guys anyway we're going to go into a quick song break and when we get back some march madness talk so stay tuned and we will be right back And we are back here on Off the Bench. My name is Hayden Joyner, as always, joined with Liam Worley. Guys, if you missed it, we just talked a little bit about the Bristol Dirt Race and the F1 2021 season opener in Bahrain. So if you're interested in that, check us out on our podcast network after the show. But, guys, Liam, March Madness. It is down to the final four teams, and 0.88% of all brackets on ESPN had UCLA, the number 11 seed, making the final four i don't even know the numbers of who predicted a correct final four but this one i don't know this one's like both like the set number you have number one gonzaga number one baylor 11 ucla number two houston yeah you know there's a mix of that's pretty predictable and that's pretty unpredictable yeah i mean like let's say this was 10 years ago people would have expected ucla to go deeper than what they did this year but you know they surprised us a little bit and you know they had a they even had a play-in game that they had to yeah, get through. Yeah, they've played one more game than everybody else. They yeah. went from the play-in to the final four. It's pretty pretty insane. And uh, since the last time we talked about it, they've had to pull off two pretty big upsets in order to do it, beating number two Alabama in their region in the Sweet 16, and then number one Michigan, the last remaining hope for Chris's Big Ten mm. in the Elite Eight to advance. And two pretty wildly different games, honestly. They beat Alabama 88 to 78 in a big shooting shootout. 
Michigan only defeated 51-49 in a defensive battle. So they can they can play on both sides of the ball. Yeah. But UCLA's in the main talking point. Baylor uh, defeated Arkansas, which was a knock to my bracket. It was pretty much about the last straw I had in some of them. Yeah. Um, Michigan as well. You know, the two things I didn't want to happen happened. So my, I won bracket with Baylor in the championship game. That's about as far as I can go now. I've lost all my national champions. Mm-hmm. Liam, I don't know. Have you checked? I the, think uh, I, I haven't looked, but I think I had Gonzaga winning one. I will. I'll tell you what the off the bench. I'll inform everybody on the off the bench stuff. At least I hope I'm right. I have I have one good bracket still, but it's not in the off the bench group. It's in another group of men, sadly. But off the bench, very interesting. You now have Liam with the top two, mm. three of the top four. I'm in number three right now. It goes Liam, Liam, Hayden, Liam, Chris, Hayden, Chris, Chris, Hayden, Jameson, Jameson, Jameson. Oh, boy. So uh, Jameson, not too hot at the end of this. No, but sir. Liam, you are owning the top two, and currently... Jameson, Chris, and Liam all have Gonzaga as their champion. Those are the only three, so that's yeah. the only three champions remaining. I've lost. I was I was this only one left who had a separate besides Gonzaga, which I had Michigan, but yeah, uh, it's all gone now. So no one had UCLA, but not many no. people do. The person with the top bracket in the world has UCLA winning the whole thing. So or at least on ESPN, he is UCLA winning the whole thing. So yeah, which I would say is probably you know pretty the bold. most used tournament. Pretty app. bold. Pretty bold. Yeah. So, but. UCLA has been the talking point of all of this. They beat number two Alabama, number one Michigan. Liam, how did they how did they pull this off so far? Uh, well, I didn't I didn't watch any of the Alabama game, and I just got to see the last you know two or three minutes or so of uh of the Michigan game last night. But my dad, uh, my dad, you know, we're Auburn fans, so we we oppose anything <laughs> the team of Alabama does that's good, and so uh, he said. Uh, Alabama hit a three as time ran out to send it to overtime, and yep. UCLA then dominated overtime. Yep. And uh, he said the greatest part of it was UCLA star player, as uh, na- his name is Tiger. So, you know, it's kind of <laughs> like a little Auburn sting at him. But, uh, you know, I didn't watch a whole lot of that one. And like you said, I did look at the stats for it and stuff. And it was definitely, a, you know, a more offensive, uh, you know, game than mm-hmm. their past game last night. Uh which, you know, Michigan had two good looks, maybe even, no, three good looks yeah. to win. And, you know. Just couldn't, couldn't fall. Couldn't get it through, so. They struggled at the end of that game for sure with Michigan. They scored only three points in their last five minutes and 21 seconds of the game, missing their last eight field goals. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you lose by two, but, you know, missing eight of your, your eight final well, field goals, you're not. You, having you, less than 50 points is never good. And, yeah. You know, is probably only going to win you about 10 percent of the games you're in or something like exactly. that exactly like and, and ucla you know they they weren't shooting the ball too well but johnny juzang transferred from kentucky took over that game 28 points i mean 28 points in a 51 point contest that's only what 13 or 23 points for the rest of the team yeah you you outscored your entire hooping. team hooping one absolutely might say. dominant and uh it was really funny for me on twitter because i follow you know i'm a kentucky fan i follow mm-hmm. a ton of people on twitter Johnny Juzang was obviously a part of our team last year. He wasn't really a star there. He didn't he didn't play too much. Seemed very frustrated with the team. So after the season, when it got cut because of COVID, entered the transfer portal, went back home to UCLA where he's from, and uh, he's really been dominating with that. He's been, played very professionally, very good for that team. I mean, the, uh, he's just vibing out there. Is yeah. all he's doing. Yeah, second team All Pack twelve for him, and he's been probably one of the stars of this tournament. I mean, UCLA has been the star team so far, but. He's been one of the stars of the tournament. So, you know, 11 of 19 shooting, 28 points in that game against Michigan. Absolutely solid performance. And 
UCLA over Alabama. I'll talk about this game for a little bit, you know, for you as an Auburn fan. I talked okay. about I talked about last week how, you know, if you're going to beat Alabama, like they're a hot team. And I really had them, you know, they're a Final Four, you know, or even national championship you know, contender. Yeah. I mean, they were out of SEC fans, you know, they – People thought Alabama was going to go the deepest out of SEC teams. Yeah, I mean, I, I had I had for a lot of my brackets Alabama or Arkansas kind of flip flopping one or two of them, or sometimes both of them making the Final Four for me. I had a lot of confidence in both of those guys, right? But or both of those teams, but Alabama, you know, coming off of their second or technically third round victory against Maryland, you know, the ninety six seventy seven game, I said they shot almost fifty percent from three, and you're not going to beat a team doing that. Mm-mm. Well, UCLA they shut that down way better than what uh, what Maryland could have done. Uh, Alabama, if I can get the stat up real quick, if uh, my ESPN page would load. But they shot around, I think it was like 25% from three. UCLA put that number better. They were shooting around 30. I can get the number real quick. Yeah, UCLA shot 34.5% from three. Beat them on on that aspect. And again, beating them 88 to 78. Alabama put up points. And I said, they're going to put up points. Their offense is fantastic. They got a bunch of all-SEC players on that team. Good coach, good players. And if you need to beat them, you have to keep pace with them. Alabama... I mean, UCLA had the game in the bag before Alabama hit that last second three to send it into yeah. overtime, and then UCLA was like, screw this. You know, we're just going to not even let y'all have any hope and put up, like, I think it was like seven or eight straight points to open overtime, ended up winning by 10. Um, just absolutely dominant performance, outscored them 23 to 13 in overtime. So yeah. UCLA just put them to sleep immediately, and, you know, they, they really came to play. All three or all five of their starters in double digits, which, which again, for college basketball, that's that's a pretty impressive number. You don't Definitely see that too often. Feet. You know, 10, 17, 13, 13, 17 for their starters and their bench as well. You even had a Singleton coming off the bench with another 15 to add on to that. All of them shooting pretty well. Singleton, like I said, he was three for four out of the three-point range. So yeah. just solid shooting, solid – well, not really solid defense because they let up 78, but just solid shooting, possession. They they dominate Alabama. As for, for the Michigan game, just defense, defense, defense. They played. They controlled that tempo very well. They did what they had to do. Johnny Juzang took over the game with 28 points. That's what we're going to have to do against Gonzaga. And Gonzaga just came off a massive game, defeating USC number six seed, 85-66, to beating by 19 in the Elite Eight to advance to the Final Four. They are looking to be the second team ever to go undefeated for the entire season to win the national championship, the first time being Indiana, first and only time being Indiana in 1975-76 and 76 season. So Too much sauce. I mean, there's been a lot. I mean, you, obviously, you, Chris, and uh, Jameson all have Gonzaga winning. I didn't have them winning. Whether it's me being bitterness from the Kentucky run in 2015, which was the last undefeated run for a team to make the Final Four, I don't know. I don't know if I'm just bitter from that, but I just think it's it's very hard for an undefeated for a team to go completely undefeated in the NCAA tournament. It's so hard. You've had, obviously, with Indiana doing it in 75-76, but since then, there's been about uh, four or five teams to make it to the Final Four undefeated, and they've mm-hmm. all... They've all, you know, choked out in the Final Four or the championship game. No one's won it since that Indiana team. I what, mean, what chance does Gonzaga have? I think, I think <laughs> Gonzaga should be the clear favorite. They've mm-hmm. killed everybody they've played. I mean, they got, you know, usually they can keep uh, talented players around for longer than, you know, some yeah. of these other teams. Big point, yeah. So, you know, a lot of those guys already have tournament experience compared to all of these guys that usually go one and done, like – with these big teams like Baylor and, you know, Kentucky or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, you know, they're undefeated. I think they're going to want to keep that resume, and I think I think they're going to be able to get it done. Uh, I haven't even watched them, 
So I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure they're well rounded and all that stuff, and they'll end up just out being able to out everything. Uh, at least UCLA, I would expect a more competitive mm-hmm. national championship. Game. Uh, the the sports book by William Hill, one of the biggest betting in Vegas, has Gonzaga as a clear favorite in the odds table to win the national championship out of here um like ucla they have a plus 2000 odds to win mm-hmm. whereas gonzaga is a net is a minus 220 odds and then you have baylor and houston sprinkled in there at uh 280 and plus plus 280 and plus 800 respectively for baylor and houston but what's funny about gonzaga right they've been the undefeated team i think like it was over half of their games were in conference mm-hmm. they played a ton of conference games which you know you're out in the i think it's like the west coast conference or something like something like that is it, is it the whack or is it called something different now i can't i don't know i really don't know gonzaga conference is it, i can't remember yeah it's the west coast conference it's not the yeah. whack whack's a different one i think right no, i don't know whack may not even be a thing anymore Whack conference is western atlanta or western atlanta western atlantic oh who's in that one uh Utah Valley, Chicago State. Is that even a Division One? It is Division One. Yeah, well, everything's just about Division One for basketball. Uh, that's like that's with Stephen Stephen F. Austin. Mm. That's that's, that's, that's just a bunch of rando teams. Sounds West, like West West uh, or what's ACU? Abilene Christian, maybe. Yeah, I guess I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's that one. But Gonzaga, you know, most of their games are out there. They didn't. They weren't tested a ton on the regular season, which you know that's a thing you say in football and a lot. But mm-hmm. for basketball, undefeated's undefeated. You're good if you're undefeated. For real. But even for this NCAA tournament, Gonzaga hasn't been tested so far because that you know you had you had a USC or Oregon Sweet 16, which one of those was going to face Gonzaga in yeah. the Final Four because you had Kansas get knocked out by USC, you had Iowa get knocked out by Oregon. Gonzaga has only faced a 16 seed in Norfolk, 8 seed in Oklahoma, 5 seed in Creighton, and a 6 seed in USC. And now they have an 11 seed in UCLA. They could make the the national championship game without facing a single top four seeded team, which is which I don't know if that's ever also happened. unheard of. Yeah, I don't know if that's ever happened. Where a view of the other side of the conference, Houston, Houston also got by pretty easily. Yeah, uh, Syracuse if, if you think was about somewhere it, in there. Syracuse was a high seed. They just had to. They either were going to play Loyola Chicago or Oregon State. Yeah, and they got Oregon State a 12 seed. I mean, yeah. technically. If if you're really talking about it, Baylor's had the toughest road of anybody, or UCLA too. But they're they're the underdogs, so we'll count them out a little bit here. Yeah. As for a one seed, Baylor had to go through, what was it? Um, not uh, they had to go through number nine Wisconsin. Arkansas. You had to get Arkansas, and then who they have in the uh, in the Sweet Sixteen? Who did, who was it? Was it? Mm, I can't remember, but no, I don't know. It was somebody. Pull up my bracket challenge real quick. It's so hard to memorize all these games, man. Honestly, dude, a lot of games to how memorize. Many, a lot of players. Do you know how many like how many total games there are in the NCAA tournament? Like it's like sixty three, I believe. Is that right? I well, think. There's sixty four teams, so there's gonna be. Well, no, that, that that's yeah. you're right. So there's more games. Let's see. They played. Oh yeah, okay. It was Villanova. They played number nine Wisconsin, okay. five Villanova, and then three Arkansas. But UCLA's technically had the hardest road of any. They had to play six BYU. Then they got Abilene Christian, which was. You know, a nice a nice little gift for them instead of playing Texas. Then you get Alabama and you get Michigan. So clearly the hardest road for them. But for UCLA in this Gonzaga matchup, this is the one everyone's focusing on. Obviously, Baylor and Houston is going to be a great matchup as, as well. Both those teams have great front courts and back courts. They score. They can do everything on that side. But that's a typical matchup. We're not interested in that. We're interested in the UCLA, the hot team, the hot Cinderella team, the first four that is making the final four. Interested in that matchup versus the undefeated Gonzaga Bulldogs. Yeah. For for UCLA to even put up a fight against this team, I mean the only really way I can see it is you know Gonzaga Gonzaga is known for having a fast paced 
fast-paced play. Their front court's amazing with those two forwards, Time and uh, Crisper, both of them averaging 17 or more points per game in the tournament. Uh, Time at averaging 21.3, and then Crispert or Kispert averaging 17.3. Those guys are dominant on the boards. They'll get you rebounds and points in the paint. So I was the, I was just looking at their point averages, and yeah. they've, they've scored at least like 83 points a game or something like that. Yeah, Gonzaga's been been insane this tournament so far they're they're blowing people out like we've said you know 98 against norfolk 87 against oklahoma 83 against creighton 85 against usc and who knows what they can put up against ucla they've we just saw ucla hold michigan to 49 points which is fairly incredible but i think we may see a dip in the points but i think it'll be a lower scoring game for both somewhere like the 60s maybe high 60s low 70s perhaps that's that's where i typically see it um i mean that's where i usually see most uh, good games mm-hmm. against you know equally competitive teams somewhere in that area. Yeah, and with that high scoring, UCLA is going to have to have that defense in full in full swing. Juzang's going to have to go out or have to go off as well with their other playmakers. Gonzaga, they're the third fastest playing team in the country. They shoot, they take a shot every 14 seconds in the game. They put up the shots, and in order for UCLA to you know limit those those shots, limit those mistakes, they have to maintain the tempo. They have to you know maybe play a little slower than they want to control the game. And don't let it get too far, you know, ahead of them. If Gonzaga can get on a run, they're going to stay hot and they're going to keep that lead. UCLA has to keep it in front of, keep the game in front of them, mm-hmm. and control that time possession. You know, can monitor turnovers. UCLA, UCLA only turns over fifteen percent of their possessions, which is pretty good. Not too many. They're going to have to, you know, really be smart and uh, and play that way. And I'm sure head coach uh, head coach Mike Cronin is going to have them ready to play for that game. UCLA has been ready to play this entire tournament. Well, I mean, we saw they had the put up against three clutch moments against mm-hmm. Michigan which you know each team you know you know they're built for these moments yeah but you know everybody gets a little nervous and a little shaky and you can make uh uh you know uh, I, heck I don't even know what I'm trying to say but Some you kind of saying <laughs> n- no it was it wasn't even saying I just couldn't find the right word but you don't you don't do something right come those last minutes because you're a little ner- more nervous than you'd usually be Mm-hmm. And you know they they held steady against uh, against Michigan in this past game, and then they were very strong defense and uh, and outscored Alabama in overtime, even though they let that three go in the closing seconds. So I just think if they can if they can make it where it goes down to the wire, I think uh, UCLA is probably going to pull it out. But this is. I mean, I'm if there's any game I'm watching this entire tournament, it's going to be that one. Uh, I'm so I'm interested. And how this UCLA and Gonzaga game is going to be played? I'm trying to get. Let's see. What is the time this game is at? This game will be played Saturday, April 3rd at. It's very specific. 8:34 p.m. Mm. Uh, on CBS. I guess uh, 8:34 is the right time. I guess I got a little commercial break to go into before 8:30. Or I guess. I don't yeah, know. pregame show. Yeah. Maybe a little national anthem or something in there. But what are we thinking, Liam? A prediction here. Obviously, we have our brackets. You have Gonzaga winning in one of yours, but honest prediction of this Final Four, what's your championship matchup and who's winning this whole thing? I'm going to say Gonzaga. You know, I'm going to say they have a you know a good all-around game again against UCLA, and, you know, UCLA is not going to have a chance there in the end. So I say Gonzaga probably wins by, like, eight or nine in that game and then uh, I think I think Baylor is going to squeak one on Houston mm-hmm. by maybe four or so and so we'll see Gonzaga Baylor and then uh, I'd expect Gonzaga to win probably by about eight or nine again against Baylor yeah you know I'm looking at the the Baylor matchup and with Houston 
And, you know, I think Gonzaga's going to pull it out over UCLA. I, I mean, as much as I'd love for, for UCLA to get that win, I just I don't, just as like an underdog story at least, I just mm-hmm. don't think it's going to happen, really. I, I got to take Gonzaga here. And, you know, it's, it's again, it's hard to think that a team can go fully undefeated, but I think Gonzaga, they have the veteranship that you want in a team like that. You kind of mentioned right. it earlier in the show. They don't have, I mean, Gonzaga's a program. They're not having those one and duns come in like a Kansas, Kentucky, Villanova, Duke, North Carolina kind of squad. They're having players come in and stay for a few years, and that really, you know, that's huge in March Madness. Well, they always take it pretty deep into the tournament. Yeah, Gonzaga. So no matter what, they have they have lots of uh, lots of you know time in these clutch moments where they're going to need that experience. Exactly. So I, I definitely think they're going to be the ones to come out of the UCLA game. Gonzaga is, and they'll make the, they'll make the championship game. Houston and Baylor. I'm going to probably go with Baylor here as well. They've they've been phenomenal this entire tournament so far they, they've played some tough games they've been i mean for a lot of the part they've been overlooked this tournament yeah. you haven't heard I mean, a lot for about. a one seed they i would definitely say yeah. they're a little bit underrated even yeah i mean we had the new i mean iowa got or iowa illinois got knocked out immediately by loyola Second chicago round, so they yeah. had some news around them michigan with their uh with one of their stars hurt for the whole tournament they had news around that as well as being the last big 10 team left they got some news baylor's just kind of been you know Walking around Chilling. in their region, you know that was with Ohio State and Florida getting knocked out by Oral Roberts, and that's been commanding most of the attention in that region. Yeah. Baylor's just kind of sneaking by, and you know Mar- uh, Masio Teague and a lot of those guys on that team and their and their backcourt, they've been putting up solid numbers. So they're they're, they're always good over there in Waco. Yeah, so we'll see, we'll see. I'm gonna go probably with Baylor and Gonzaga, just like you, but it's gonna be that's gonna be a great game. And then who you got in the, in the Natty? <sighs> see. See, Gonzaga and Baylor, I probably, you know, my gut tells me Baylor. I just, really? I just don't. It's so hard. To, I mean, it doesn't. Ha- it's never happened except once for an undefeated team to completely sweep it. I just, you know, it's probably going to happen, but I just can't. I just, my gut tells You're me someone's going to knock Gonzaga out. Like someone's going to, going to slap it out of their hands. Because I remember as a Kentucky fan in 2015, Kentucky was so dominant that team. Mm-hmm. There was, um, like. Uh, we played. I remember. I saw this. Literally, there's a tweet pop, pop uh, popped up again. We played West Virginia in the Sweet 16 that year, and they were there were tons of West Virginia players before that game, like tweeting now and posting and saying conferences like, "Oh yeah, Kentucky's like 32 or something and 0 right now. They're about to be 32 and 1 after our game." Yeah. Like they that West Virginia came on came in with so much confidence. I believe they had just dominated a team in the second round. Anyway, we beat them by like 40. Yeah. Like. I know how dominant that Kentucky team was, and it's one of the best teams to ever graze college football. Like I said, or college basketball. Like yeah. I said earlier, ten players on that team went to the Definitely. NBA. So seeing a UCLA team who's undefeated, and I know you know they're a great team. Like I, don't get me wrong, Gonzaga is amazing, but they they're not like they're not a star to the team. They don't have a guy that can fully rely on like put the game on their shoulders yeah, kind of guy. They're not going to have a guy that's going to go you know number one. In, yeah, in they're draft. not going to have a dude drop twenty eight points, ten rebounds in a game to carry the team. Or like they got, I mean, I'll, I mean, I'll get it. They don't need like, it though. They don't need it. They a bunch they got of overall. The yeah, they got. I mean, Team A, they're they're one of their forwards. He's a he's a star. He's a star. Mm-hmm. He's amazing. He'll he'll drop twenty eight. I'll give him that. But like, there's not a consistent guy. You know, there's not like a uh, like a Lonzo Ball, De'Aaron Fox kind of guy. You're not gonna have like a Lonzo Ball isn't in college, but you're not gonna have those kind of solid playmakers on the team. Yeah. And since Kentucky couldn't do it, I'm just like, I don't know. if I mean, I don't want to be biased there with Kentucky. Like, oh, if you're not Kentucky, you can't be any better than us. Yeah. But I just, it's just hard, it's just hard to wrap my head around that that could happen again. I so. mean, I can understand, you know, it's something, you know, I mean, people can probably remember back to that Indiana game, but, you know, no one, 
Yeah. Any any that's uh, got any age relatively close to us, you know, <laughs> knows anything about that. So it'll be something a spectacle for all, anybody to see. You know, that's gives a crap about basketball. Yeah, I I have my two like I, I said this earlier. I like of all my brackets, I have two that are still kicking, and it's my Baylor and Gonzaga championship ones. Mm-hmm. My best one's the Baylor one, so I'm gonna roll with it. It's my best bracket so far, and so I'll stick with Baylor winning the whole thing. There you go. I'm convinced. They've gone under the radar, and uh, as for now, you can't you can't run from the media anymore, Baylor, because you're mm-hmm. in the Final Four. Yeah. There's only four teams to talk about, and you're one of them. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what that is. But, you know, college basketball, fun, fun, fun. It's, it's the best it's time of year. Nice to have it back. Really wish we had Definitely. it last year. Yeah, that would have been great. But we have a few more minutes in this topic, so we're going to jump into NFL real quick, and then we'll get back after our break to come back. But, Liam... The biggest, I mean, look, we have the offseason crap, Deshaun Watson, all this other stuff, trades, Fitzmagic and Heineke on the same team, incredible mm. tandem there. Um, but the biggest thing that came out recently, the 17-game schedule, and I'm sure you've heard a bunch about this. This was said in the CBA. I had, if y'all remember, back um, back in first semester of the show, I had one show where Jameson wasn't able to make it, so I talked a bunch of CBA stuff, which is always entertaining to talk logistics about football. Right. But the CBA was signed last season by the NFL and NFLPA. It's their collective bargaining agreement. It's where they both agree for advancements of money distribution and stuff along those lines. Between the owners and the players mostly. Well, sneaked in there, they always include some format changes to the season and stuff like that. And all the players vote on everything. It's not like those political bills where they sneak like 500 lines of other stuff underneath you like know, one bill. Yeah, it's kind of like the COVID stimulus. They're yeah. like doing stuff for art museums and whatever. Yeah, like just random stuff. Yeah. Usually with the CBA, at least, they'll vote on everything. Right. And so besides the money distribution, which people don't really care about, the big things that come out of that CBA were the 14-team playoff um, format, which mm-hmm. we saw implemented last year, and the ability for the NFL to implement a 17-game schedule within the next two or three years whenever they see fit well COVID happened right after that was kind of going on and the you know the nfl lost so much revenue this past year obviously with ticket sales being gone merchandise and all that like all the in-stadium stuff they lost money on a little problem with cbs or something too wasn't there uh yeah something like that with like the tv rights but Mm -hmm. the nfl is now looking to maximize their profit to make up for all that and they got the new tv tv deal done which is like around the ballpark of 10 years, $110 billion between a bunch of networks and the NFL. And so those networks are looking for, they want their money's worth. You know, they just paid a ton of money, and so they're wanting their money's worth. And what that means is, you know, maybe adding an extra game in the schedule to play. So that's what the NFL did this season. They opted for that rule that they signed. The players agreed on it. Granted, their voting was only by, it only got passed by 60 votes. of, mm-hmm. a, of a, Like, there's only 60 more votes to pass it. Yeah. So it was a very close vote on the 17-game schedule rule, but they extended it, and basically we have a 17-game schedule, an 18-week NFL season with one bye week, three preseason games, um, and again, kind of sprinkled in with it, we have one international game for each team over the next eight seasons. It will kind of rotate throughout the season, um, starting in 2022. So not this year. I forgot they even uh, did international games before COVID. So not this year, but next year, the international stuff will restart again, I guess mostly because of COVID. And and the NFL is saying they're going to look to expand in Canada, South America, Mexico, uh, Europe, and Great Britain. Obviously, you know, the UK is in Great Britain is in Europe but they yeah. they categorize it on their little list as different. Yeah. But they're looking to expand all there. Obviously they played in London a bunch. They so played in Mexico City last year. 
not this past year. Yeah, but yeah, year they before did. COVID. Did they, or, or was that the one they canceled and put it in the L.A. because like rain or something? Weird? I don't know. I think they had. Uh, I think I had one game. No, I, I think know. yeah, I think they had one in Mexico City. Yeah. I'm pretty positive. There was one that was like Rams. That big Rams Chiefs yeah. Monday night game was supposed to be there, but like the fields were like dog crap, I so think, they moved it. To I think it LA. was Rams Chargers or something. Like a different one. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but they're going to look for international play. Hopefully, you know, they'll expand to Canada, get the names out there. But that's what they're looking for with this new 17-game schedule. And a lot, I mean, they announced this, I think, Tuesday or Monday night, one of the two. They said they were going to do it, and then, like, the next day they did it. So there's been a ton, a ton of talk about that, and we will get into that in a second. But, uh, you know, just players are coming out saying it's, it's an, they're not happy about it. Some players are saying they are happy about it. The media and the fans are absolutely loving it because it just means more football to cover and more football to watch. But we will get into that all in a second. We're going to go into a quick break, guys, and we'll be right back. If you're not able to catch this entire podcast, say you have to leave right now and you want to listen to the uh, the CBA talk in a second, just remember to follow us on our podcasting network. You can check the check out the podcast from today's episode later on tonight. I'll be uploading it around 7 or 8 p.m., so check us out on there. Follow us on social media for the updates of when it's uploaded. Guys, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and anywhere else podcasts can be found. Just click the link in our social media bios or go to your respective platform and type in Off The Bench and look for the green, gray, white logo created by Hayden Joyner, my name. Again, we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, anywhere else you can find them. Just look up Off The Bench. But guys, we're going to go into a quick song break. When we get back, we're talking 17-game NFL schedule as well as some other stuff. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. And we are back here on Off the Bench. My name is Hayden Joyner, joined with Liam Worley. Guys, we are talking the 17-game schedule switch with the NFL just put into place a couple couple days ago, or maybe even yesterday. I can't remember the exact day that happened, but I can't either. It was dude. it was this week before the show, but sometimes it was Monday or Tuesday. But 17-game schedule. I teased a little bit of it before we went into break, guys. But NFL agreed to a 17-game extension starting this upcoming season in 2021. No more. See, what I'm, I'm happy about Liam. They can't make the eight and eight Cowboys jokes anymore. Oh That's, yeah, you can't never say. You know, Dak Prescott's an eight and eight quarterback because it's, it's either going to be it's impossible over five hundred or under five hundred. It's impossible to go eight and eight now. You can go nine and eight or eight and nine, but you cannot go eight and eight. So seventeen game schedule. See, I mentioned or I alluded to our or my my episode last semester when I talked about CBA stuff and I talked about. Um, the I can't remember if this was last semester or maybe maybe it was all the way back in the in the spring I can't remember Jeez. but I did one and I did a lot of talk about the Jaguars expanding into into London mm-hmm. and how the 17 game schedule and this new CBA is going to affect that a lot and I talked about how with the 17 game schedule and this is a point I feel like it's been underrated a lot but it means with 17 games it's not even right we all know our basic right. maths which means the teams are going to have eight home games and nine away games or vice versa. You're not going to have the same amount, which is obviously going to cause some uproar. Their NFL's already made it a point to say you're going to alternate each year depending on how many home or away games you get. So one year you get nine, next year you get eight. One nine, one eight. Well, my solution to this was how about we still do eight and eight, but every team gets one neutral site game a year, one international game a year, right. which that's, I guess that was, comp- I guess they didn't listen to the show. They didn't hear that, uh, that, uh, that offer I had, Yeah. but I figure, you know, the NFL wants to expand into international games a ton. 
why not do it that way? And they did say they're going to have one international game for each team over an eight-year period starting 2022. But I don't know if that's going to replace a home or away game or it's not really like a per-year thing. I think one team's going to get an away game or a neutral game every Mm -hmm. eight years, it sounds like. Yeah. So why not have one for every team you know so every week you have at least one neutral site game because you have you know one team gets it just like a bye week but well, you have i'm a sure there's site. some more some organizations that are more willing to you know go overseas you know rather than just staying over here i mean it, you'd have to go over there and get time acclimated and all that stuff and mm-hmm. then you know still work on some practice and weightlifting and all that stuff which would be a different uh you know atmosphere than it would over here so it just you know i think that probably had something to do with it yeah maybe and also you know you know covid is also a little bit of an issue when it comes Still, to international travel yeah. right now but well you know maybe they'll listen to this episode and they'll, and they'll hear my pleas but well, i hope so as for the 17 game schedule like why i mean I, I alluded to this a little bit prior to our break about why they're doing it it's mostly due to their lost revenue from covid i believe they mm-hmm. were going to do this anyway because more games equals more money, and we all know the NFL is a business. Money is what drives it. Do it for the love of the game for as long as you want, but the NFL is a business. You got to, you got to, you got to make, you got to pay the bills. You know, you got to make the money sometimes. Yeah. So, Liam, like, I'll get your opinion. Like, what, what are your like opening thoughts on the seventeen game switch? Like, how's this really gonna, like, why the NFL do this? Do you think? Uh, I, like I said earlier, uh, you know, off mic, I, I thought, you know, it's more money oriented than mm-hmm. anything else, which. I get at the same time, you know, they're trying, they're going to have to take a little time and try to make back what they lost from this past year. So that's going to be a process uh, over time, even though, you know, NFL's not, you know, begging for anything. No, they're, they're not, they're not strapped for cash. Right? Yeah, for any exactly. Reasons, you know. But, you know, I don't think it'll take that much more of a toll on the players or, you know, the coaches or anything. I think, you know, if we see some crazy injury to Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady in the 17th game then they'll care they might you know (laughs) reconsider something but unless you know something crazy happens I think it's not going to affect anybody the same and it's just a extra week of football entertainment for everybody on this side of things yeah I mean as for the player the players have been the main ones to come out and say they're not really a big fan of this even Mm -hmm. though it was technically voted upon by the NFLPA and CBA but Alvin Kamara was one of the first to tweet about this when it got announced, and quoting it, he said, this decision is dumb as hell for a 17-game schedule. And I, as for a running back, I'll give him it, because running backs get injured a lot, and they're one of the hard. They get beat down probably more than most positions in the Definitely the average player. But what I'll say about this, and a lot of people have been saying this about, especially what Alvin Kamara said, hey, buddy, guess what? You don't have to play all 17 games. You, yeah. can, t- you, can, you can pull a LeBron and load manage for a game or two. You know? Which happens yeah especially if you're a really good team trying to take it deep into the playoffs yeah like people already criticize the nba a lot for the load management like oh you're just gonna sit out a couple games because you're tired oh big wuss but you know you do that for the betterment of the team you play Mm -hmm. if if you're if you're the lakers and basketball teams travel a lot more and play a lot more games than football teams do so you know yeah they're going to washington for one game and then as soon as the game's over hopping on a flight to toronto and playing a game the next day exactly whereas the nfl i get it that it's it's a hard-hitting game and your body takes a lot more abuse than it does in basketball but you get you know you get a week and maybe that's just naive for me to say that oh you only get you get at least a week i mean you're still practicing four or five days that week which is you know also physically tolling on somebody mm-hmm. but uh you know you could you could see both sides of the story exactly but as as for like the player argument 
you know, the NFL has been preaching health and safety players for forever now. Um, with this, the whole CTE stuff that happened yeah, forever ago. Yeah, they, they've been pushing for that a lot. And adding a 17th game, schedule, 17th game to the schedule kind of seems counterintuitive to that. It's like, oh, we want player safety, but, you know, let's make y'all play an extra game to let's, increase let's the chance of money injury. So we can donate some more to all these <laughs> Let's make fine, mo- fine establishments that help you after you're done with your NFL career. Yeah, let's make more money to fix the issues that are caused by us making more money. Yeah, it, it's kind of you know it's a big loop they're doing. But for the for the player health and stuff, you know, for most positions, I feel like there's not going to be too much of an issue besides you know just stamina throughout the season. Yeah, I get that every game and the the way the NFL is, every game matters because it's one you can lose one game and that can cause you miss the playoffs. Just ask the ten and six Dolphins last year. Yeah, I mean you know you're gonna have to watch what you do. You know. Especially if like you're in conference rivals or in division rivals and stuff, you're gonna want to be strapped up for those games. You know, compared to if you're in the NFC, say you're playing, you know, the hard-hitting Kansas City Mm -hmm. uh, defense. You know, the (laughs) next week you may want to take that one off so you're more prepared for. You know, an NFC team like the Saints or something. Yeah, it's it's gonna come down to. I mean. For, for some strategy on some teams, if they want to rest a few players to get through that extra game, they can do that. But there's already, like I said, there's been people complaining. Like, like I saw once some people saying, like, but if these players are sitting out some games, like the load management crap that you get in the NBA, if mm-hmm. that happens in the NFL, is that going to like diminish football quality? Because like you're not having your best players play. And I think for most of the, for that part, quarterbacks are, you know, those are the guys you care about the most, and they're most likely going to be able to play all 17 games. Yeah. They're not going to sit out one game, you know, especially a quarterback. They're not going to do that no matter how bad you are. They're not going to sit out a game and let the backup go in and play for them. Whereas, like, you know, you might have a running back or a wide receiver or, like, maybe a, maybe a defensive back or something that they're important to the team, but the team's not as, you know, it's not, not built around that exactly they can sit out a game or so you know you can have an you can have julio or odell sit out a game if they're tired because you know if if you're playing the the jets for all we know or just you know the Bengals or someone really bad yeah you're not you can sit out that that team necessarily or need that player necessarily yeah exactly you can take those breaks there's going to be ways around it then i mean coaches they're they're geniuses they'll find a way for all their players to be up and ready to go no matter what and for the people that are like you know oh if you have people sitting it's going to miss just diminish the quality of play and all that well we already have people sit out week 17 for the most part well it's you know the same thing like uh when players sit out the bowl games in college yeah exactly to prepare for the nfl draft it's basically going to be the same thing they're gonna sit out a week and prepare for the nfl playoffs yeah the only problem with like the bowl game stuff is that that's their playoffs yeah that's like someone sitting out the playoffs to prepare for the pro bowl like yeah. that's just dumb but i mean it's it's, it's different levels but the same extent it's kind of like maybe maybe you know a college player sitting out their rivalry game like michigan ohio state sitting out that one because they want to get ready for their bowl game like that's kind of just dumb but players are already set out week 17 in the nfl so it's not really that different and it's not like we i think week 17 doesn't get the same viewership as the rest of the season but that's mostly because it's the last one yeah still it's kind of a balance in that you either know what's going to happen before the playoffs and yeah yeah i mean even like it doesn't even matter like if I doubt quarterbacks will even sit out a single game to make it to the 17 games. But even if they do, I don't think it's going to lose viewership unless it's like Mahomes or something. Well, it's going to be important, you know. It's important for good quarterbacks, good running backs, whoever, to stay in a good rhythm all season. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if they skip one game right before the most important time of the year, that might come back and bite them in the next game or two. So you never know. We'll see some guys probably sit out. 
so you know they don't get injured or what have you and then we'll see some guys be like yeah man this is another good opportunity for us show show yeah. the other teams what we got this week yeah i'm sure all the practice squad guys and four stringers like yeah. well if you star players want to complain and, and be like oh my body's gonna get hurt come on man it's like i'll, I'll take your spot gladly i'll take your salary and, too. i mean in the nfl's eyes i mean you obviously want to care about your players but if you have people like alvin Kamara complaining about this like oh i'm not going to be able to make it the nfl's like oh well we'll just replace you in five years when your body dies off there's mm-hmm. tons of college kids which that might be the right idea to have but it's what the nfl is going to do to you well yeah. i mean like you said the nfl is a business they're going to do what's best for them yeah and you know especially running backs they don't have a long shelf life in exactly. the nfl five so. years max when you're like at your peak yeah so that's why that's why you don't extend running backs dallas yeah but it's whatever um but the NFL is going to, I mean, I have a, the NFL, they are still wanting to keep the players' health in mind, right? And they're going to either make it to where, you know, some players, maybe they force people to, teams to only play players 16 out of the 17 games. So they have to kind of maneuver it. Which that. would be interesting. Be, I mean, when, you come, when it comes tactics wise, it's like, oh, when do you bench your quarterback? When do you bench that'd be your. That'd really crazy for be, the free agency season, too. Yeah, like, let's say a backup freaking drops 400 yards and four tutties or something. Mm-hmm. You know, that'd be interesting to it watch. Would cause, it would cause teams to invest very highly in depth, you know, because if you, lo- you take your quarterback out for one game, yeah. you. You know that I mean, taking your star quarterback out for some teams—that's it. You, yeah. You're you're trash if you lose your quarterback. Yeah. I mean, look at look at how Dallas worked last year, where he has other teams like the Saints, who they lose Drew Brees. They didn't really get affected at all. Chiefs almost lost in the, the yeah their one playoff game with Chad Henney. So teams can invest in backups a little bit more. So maybe that'll be a difference. I don't know if the NFL is going to actually put something in place to where it limits players' game time, but something different is maybe they'd limit you know the mini camps and OTAs over the off season to cause players bodies to not be as brutal like you know beat up in, yeah. in the summertime but you know we kind of saw it with covid and we saw tons of injuries this year so it's going to be a nice balancing act between it all um another big thing they've talked about with the 17 game schedule liam is record books and like we said i said this originally you know right now you have the basis there's like a solid base stats for teams and, and players of if you had a good or bad good or bad season yeah. you know eight and eight it's okay, it's mediocre, but if you're above 8-8, eight and eight, it, you can be a successful team. If you're below, it's a bad season, right? Yeah. There, there's a solid benchmark. Now, 17 games, What's the, is 9-8 and eight the benchmark, or is 8-9? and nine? Is 10-7 and seven good, or is 11-6 I mean, and six good? You know, it all depends on your strength of schedule. It all depends on, you know, the injuries towards later on in the season, how that affects your things. Uh, with these records and stuff, you know, we might see a few break, you know, within the upcoming years, but I think it'll be... I don't think we're going to like, you know, all these records that we've had for a while are going to get blown away. I don't think that's going to happen right away. What do you like? like, Yeah. For, for like the big records, like, you know, I've heard a lot, like, you know, the rushing title and the, and the Peyton Manning's passing record. Mm -hmm. Those are going to be in jeopardy because it gives everybody an extra game. But you know, the extra game, I had to be like a 400 yarder. You still have a very incredible season. Yeah. Like everybody has games where they're not going to throw 400 yards every game. You know, there's, games you're only going to throw for 180 and you know you're going to have a pick or two in there and then there's some games you'll make up for it a little bit so it just decides on which side it teeters and or which side totters yeah and as for like like benchmarks like that's going to be just a fun thing because you have like you know for quarterbacks four thousand passing yards that's a good season for running backs and receivers a thousand yards is like a big deal mm-hmm. a 900 yard receiver is not regarded as the same as a 1100 yard receiver yeah. even a thousand yard guy if, you know, if you have a team that has two 1,000-yard receivers, you're pretty good. If you have two 900-yard receivers, you're kind of mediocre in people's eyes. So those benchmarks might have to be adjusted to maybe four, 
4,300 instead of 4,000 or 1,200 yard rushing receiver. Yeah. That might be what it goes to, but we'll wait and see. Um, it's 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 gonna take me a while to to, to get used to records. You know, maybe uh, you know maybe Dallas will be the first team to go seventeen and zero, and you know maybe someone someone's got to do it. Someone hey, someone's some, gonna go zero and seventeen as well. It'll it's happen. happen. It'll happen one day. Maybe Detroit will go zero and seventeen like they did the zero and sixteen Dan Orlovsky days, but mm. it's gonna happen. And as for like. I don't know. I mean, you can still go eight and eight and one, so there's still that benchmark. That's you can, true. You can still that is There's true. still the tie. You can still be exactly mediocre. See, getting a tie now is going to be like very, you know, nostalgic because you'll get to see in the win loss what we're used to. You can be ten six and one yeah. instead of ten and seven. It, it's 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 just gonna, it's going to take me a while to get used to. It's like, oh, this team, you know, they're they're eleven and four right now, and when I hear eleven and four, I'm like, oh, one week left. Oh, there's actually two weeks left. Yeah, you know, eleven and six. Just like going to eleven and six, it doesn't have doesn't sound doesn't, that good. Doesn't sound Flow the same off as like the tongue. Yeah, you know, going thirteen and three isn't the same as thirteen and four. Thirteen and four doesn't sound as nice. Yeah. So I can get behind that. One good thing it did give us is that the matchups for week seventeen, they uh, you know, it has to you have to change the the way the NFL schedule works a little bit to fit in an extra game. So you know, you know the way the schedule works, right, Liam? It's you play your division for six games, and you play another conference within or another mm-hmm. division within your conference in the same order and all that stuff. But what they did for the seventeenth game, which there's been some talks, is this going to be the week seventeen games? Which I don't know when they're going to play these games. If it's all going to be one week, or they're going to like sprinkle it in around the season. But they're pitting an AFC versus NFC conference together, and the teams will play the team in the other division who finished the same respective rank. So. If you don't follow me, for people listening, it's like, for one, the NFC East and the AFC East are playing each other, which means the first-place Bills will play the first-place football team. Which would be kind of lit. Yeah, and then you have the third-place Patriots playing the third-place Cowboys. It's It's almost like an extra week for the playoffs. Yeah, it's going to get some interesting games. I don't don't know if this all these matchups are going to be, what, week 17 or week 18, I guess, would be the last game, or if these are going to be, you know, just placed around the schedule for everybody. I'd say they're probably going to be placed rather than, you know. Being, like, one specific week. Yeah, like, there's not very many weeks where everybody's playing. Well, I know what the NFL does, like, week one and week, like, the first and last week, it's Mm -hmm. always a divisional game. Yeah. It always is. Well, actually, I take that back. Sometimes it's not. But you, the, I think week 17, you, the last week of the season, usually is all division. Because it's usually has playoff implications or division title implications. So it's yeah. always a divisional game. But that doesn't always be the case, I think, for the most part. But for this for this extra scheduling, it does give us some pretty fun matchups. You know, you got Cowboys, Patriots, like I said. You got Rams, uh, Ravens. You got probably the biggest one, Packers, Chiefs. You get to play this upcoming Definitely. season. And let's see, any other good ones you're going to get? Uh, maybe not right now, but you'll get Niners, um, Niners Bengals, which could be like Burrow versus, uh, you know, Fields or something. We might get to see some like more holiday games, like around Thanksgiving or mm-hmm. Christmas or New Year's. You know, with all with this extra game, this is also what means, I could think. Yeah, this also means like the playoffs and stuff is going to get pushed back a week, so mm-hmm. the extra group will be tallied on in January. So I think playoffs won't start to like you know around the the teens of of uh of january instead of like the eighth or ninth yeah super bowl won't start i think till like you know it's usually like february like the first week of february now it won't be until the second week so like around valentine's day yeah i think it's this year it's gonna be like february i think 13th so the day before valentine's day so everything's pushed back a bit but man i'd hate for when it falls on valentine's day oh that's gonna be uh a lot of grumpy folks out there. Yeah, you're gonna grumpy have, girls. You're anyway. gonna go with the Super Bowl party with the boys, or you're gonna go to the the dinner with the with the with the girl. 
what's uh, what's he gonna do there? But I know, don't know. There'll be some compromise. Super Bowl usually ends pretty late. Yeah, so maybe maybe you can uh, maybe sneak dinner around halftime. I don't know. There's, there's going to be some angry people that day if that ever happens. <laughs> maybe Ho- do a brunch. Hopefully the uh, the calendar the calendar gods give us uh, that never happens. But yeah, we'll wait and see. Seventeen games. It's it's uh, I don't know. And we're gonna to, I'm gonna wait and see. I mean, Alvin Kamara was the one guy to come out so far and say like he's not very happy about this. But I'm sure more players are going to come out and say I don't have any specific names, but it's going to happen. Players are going to complain, but. At the end of the day, you signed the CBA agreement, you voted on it, and democracy won, even though it was only 60 more votes for the for yes than no. But democracy won, the vote happened, and it's over with. We already knew this was going to happen. It was just a matter of time of when it's going to happen. Yeah. And, I mean, who knows? The NFL might expand to 18 games in the next couple of years. You, you never know. It's been 16 games for, like, 50-something years since the 70s, I believe, yeah. or the 60s. But before that, it was, like, 8 and then 12 and then 14 and 16. Like, every 8 or so, 5, 8 years, it was changing. They were just expanding and expanding. So maybe the NFL now, they're back in the expanding mode. They're just going to keep going up. I've also heard people say and, and some thoughts, like, maybe they'll expand, expand the playoffs again to eight teams per conference or yeah per conference instead of just seven yeah it just went from six to seven it could be seven to eight which means half the entire league makes the playoffs so kind of like the nba yeah mm. which yeah you could be four against that but at least it would mean well i don't know it means there'd be four wild card games for yeah conference it's, like instead an, of, it's like a extra i don't know I think I think playoffs I think, should be exclusive to the best. I think yeah, I would also agree with that statement, but I also think like, you know, there's a point where you're stretching it, you're trying to find, you know, mm-hmm. the outermost limit you can get to, and I think they're dang close to it. If you get, I think playoffs should never be more than half of the league. Yeah. Half is the limit. If it's more than half, it's like, well, what, Why are, what are we you doing? Having it? What are we doing? If, if like below 500 teams shouldn't make the playoffs, except for in very extreme cases, like we see with. The and football team. Yeah, the football team last year, the Panthers and the Saints, I think, did it before. Yeah. Only in extreme cases should that happen. It should not be a routine thing. Where, like, in the NBA, like, the eight seed in a lot of conferences, those are below 500 teams. Usually. Usually. Like, like the Magic were the eight seed in the East last year. They were, like, I think, like, 10 games under 500. Probably, I was about to say, probably a lot under. Yeah, so if I think that's why half should be the limit. You shouldn't have mediocre teams making the playoffs, even if it does give the number one over, overall seed a pretty easy route. Yeah. It shouldn't happen. We want We want the competitiveness, but... Either way, we'll switch off, Liam, for a little bit. We're going to go to our final segment of the show, the NFL Draft. Would have loved to have Chris here, but he's he's Man. working on his golf game as usual. It's respectable. Yeah, working on the working on the game, working on the short game, the long game. That that uh, just trying to trying to get that. Uh, what was he like? Plus a hundred? A couple. Of- <laughs> Not good. He improved a lot this past tournament. That's good. That's very. But good. Uh, you know, he I I think you need. I he needs to work a little bit on his mental <laughs> Coach game. Coach him up, <laughs> and like he he says he's you know he's just trying to hang in. Uh, they only got one more tournament left. They got their conference championship mm-hmm. and uh, left, and you know he's just kind of hanging on till summer so he can like really work on his game. But yeah. you know he's got two weeks until then. I think he could have a pretty dang good turnaround in two weeks if yeah, he went sure, out and practiced sure. and stuff but that's why he's out there it's raining on him right now i guess or i don't know if it's raining on the course but i don't know it's not too pretty outside right now but no sir good job chris we, we're very proud of you but for the nfl draft we'll get chris on to talk some justin fields because he loves himself some justin fields but some big moves happened in the nfl draft in the last week most notably the 49ers trading up from the number 12 to the number three overall pick with miami they traded number three, and it cost them their number 12 overall, a 2022 first and third rounder, and a 2023 first rounder. 
So basically three overall, three firsts and a third to move up to number three in the overall draft. Who are they taking, Liam, at number three overall behind the Jaguars and the Jets? So we've all kind of talked, like, I I don't know if you have the exact same opinion as uh, Chris or I do, but we've always thought that San Francisco is definitely one of the two or three front runners to get Jay Fields. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's who they're going to go with. You know, Chris has his heart set that, the Jets aren't going to pick them. <laughs> Maybe a little bias. I wouldn't want Bo Nix or something to go to the Jets. <laughs> but, you know, if the Jets are like, dang, man, this dude's doing really good. And they kind of, they're like, yeet, boy, and pick Jay Fields at two. I think there's going to be a lot of upset Buckeye fans, and Jay Fields will probably be upset too. But, uh, you know, the Jets aren't a very smart organization, in my opinion, and I think <laughs> he'll fall to three, and San Fran's going to pick him. Yeah, I think. I mean, look, you're not giving up three firsts and a third to move up to not draft a quarterback. Yeah. And if Ford, if the 49ers had their sights set on a Trey Lance or Mac Jones kind of guy, they there's could have no, there's, hung around. They could have hung at 12 and probably got him. I mean, unless you want to be – I don't think they'd want a Trey Lance. I think Mac Jones is more their style. But if they were really wanting Mac Jones, for instance, I guess you could move up to guarantee you get it, but also you probably could have gotten him at 12 anyway. could have unless, saved like, a pick or two. Unless, like, the Patriots somehow take him or trade up to take him, it's not going to matter. Yeah. But – uh, here's a little here's a little fun fact for you. The, 40, me. the 49ers have only ever drafted three quarterbacks since 1967. They've only ever drafted three quarterbacks in the first round. Can you name two of them by any chance? You know, one, one's pretty obvious, but I don't know. I was going to say like Joe Montana. They didn't draft him in the first round. I, I don't know. Steve uh, Young was a good San Fran quarterback. This was uh they their only three their three first round quarterback draft picks were t- 2005 with Alex Smith first overall. I didn't even I don't remember him playing for the 49ers ever. He played before Kaepernick, I think. I think he like mentored Kaepernick and Kaepernick, Kaepernick wasn't first round. No, they didn't. I don't even know how they got him. But then 1997, Jim Drunkenmiller. I don't know uh, who that is. I don't either. know who that is either. It was a bust. And then 1967, Steve Spurrier, third overall. Really? Yeah. So those were the three quarterbacks taking the first round for San Francisco. They're probably going to add a fourth here, probably with Jay Fields or Zach Wilson. I mean, look, they're not, like I said, they're not going, giving up that draft capital to not draft a quarterback. Yeah. And I don't know what they're going to do with Jimmy G, if they're going to trade him out. Or whatever. I th- Jimmy I've heard he's still worth a little something. Yeah, out he's there. worth some. I feel like did Kyle Shanahan like say he's their guy? Like they're gonna keep him and maybe like have him. I don't know. Everybody like you know misleads these people with information. So they're like, ha ha ha, we're gonna do this when you really think we're doing this. And you know everybody thinks you know Jimmy G could go back and be Tom Brady Jr. again in New England. Let's see. Jimmy Garoppolo was quoted to to be he wasn't happy about the 49ers trade and that the 49ers are now listening to trade offers as of a day ago for Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm-hmm. So I guess they're, they're on the fence. I If they are a quarterback, I couldn't imagine him sitting behind Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe just be a quarterback competition in minicamp. But, I mean, to be fair, Aaron Rodgers was mad when... They got Jordan Love. Yeah, they got Jordan Love, like, late first round. But did they even trade up for him? Or if they no, did, it was, was, a, it was, was late first round. pick, yeah, I so, think. The and 49ers are giving up massive draft capital to get this, whoever they're getting. So Aaron Rodgers ended up, you know, having a little MVP season after mm-hmm. that. Yeah, so. he made his he made his name known. But for the 49ers, it's Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. They're not getting Trevor, and I don't think they're drafting anybody else. It all comes down to who the Jets take at number two. The Jets get Zach Wilson, they're going to get Justin Fields. The Jets get Fields, they'll get Zach Wilson. If the Jets take no quarterback for some reason. I don't know who you're picking from. I feel like Zach Wilson and Justin Fields, you know, they've both had their ups and downs in this offseason. Chris is adamant that Justin Fields is, uh, is, 
you know, came from the heavens and he's the best thing since sliced bread. I mean, Justin Fields is a solid quarterback, and Zach Wilson as well. They both had phenomenal games this past year. Both had phenomenal pro days. Yeah, I will say Zach Wilson's he's in a weaker conference, and he's had just one really solid season, whereas Justin Fields has been that guy for Ohio State for the last couple seasons. Yeah, it was number one overall coming out of high school and stuff. Exactly. So it's a big competition. I don't really know too much about what the 49ers needs are of who they consider obviously they're they're somewhat similar but also different styles of play between the two field and wilson so yeah i think i think for a general statement they'll take whoever the jets don't take and if the jets don't take any i'm a i'm gonna take a wild guess and probably they're gonna go with fields i've seen just because i've seen a lot more jersey swaps of fields in a 49ers jersey so. i would i would say <laughs> that is definitely a lot more accurate i mean people they like zach wilson i you know i don't see all the hype i think he's going to be a you know decent quarterback for a few years in the league but uh you know i think fields would be a more steady guy at least has a better odds of he's being more, a more steady of a playmaker guy. i know i know wilson has like some under throwing issues and stuff like that but i think fields is definitely like the playmaker of all of it yeah. um we'll switch switch up to the jets real quick who are the jets going to take at number two overall because it kind of depends on for the 49ers but are the jets i mean we talked about this in our group chat a little bit with uh, with Chris. Are the Jets even going to take a quarterback number two overall? He's adamant that they're not. Uh, Sam Darnold, you know, if they give Sam Darnold another year, it's going to be like continuing to pick, uh, you know, continuing to rely on Mitch Trubisky. And if they don't do that, you know, they're going to have some stuff going on. So I could see Penny Sewell being an option. Uh, Devonte Smith, Jamar Chase, two good receivers to maybe give that to give Darnold that piece that he needs. And uh, well, I mean, there's no other really good offensive options that you know are worth the top ten pick, except if you want to go maybe Kyle Pitts. But mm-hmm. I can't see him being top five. No, and for for the Jets, you know, they're staying at number two right now. They haven't traded out of it, and that really leads me to say they're going to take a quarterback because if they wanted a playmaker. There's tons of teams that are hungry for a quarterback right now. You know, they that, can that drop would, back, get, yeah. get a little something extra in the long run, and pick someone like Devontae Smith at six or something. Yeah, exactly. They could trade back a little bit, and maybe you know, with someone like the Panthers or something who might really want Justin Fields, they could move up with that. Um, and even the, even the Jets could even trade back just to number three with the same with the 49ers. They could say, hey, Niners, give us you know two of those first-round picks you got, and we'll give you the second pick. So you're guaranteed to get who you want. You don't have to worry about us. Just you, give us a couple you picks. You know and, what else this does? This takes kind of Deshaun Watson out of the San Fran race. Yeah, it really does. Because you know, unless they're San Francisco, they give all these picks for it, so they don't have any capital to trade now mm-hmm. for Deshaun Watson. That is very, that's a very good point. So... That leaves Denver technically as the only d- destination. Carolina's still up there. Carolina, go to Carolina, but uh, we won't. We, we don't know. We don't know. But oh, for the, for yeah. the Jets, I'm convinced if they're staying at number two, they're going to get a quarterback and they're going to ship out Darnold. Because basically, you're, you're, what the Jets have a decision is, you either draft Justin Fields or Zach Wilson. I think they've been more lenient to Zach Wilson. So you either get you know Fields or Wilson at number two, or you know you keep Darnold, but you trade away to get some draft compensation you get a couple first round picks to move out so would you either want you know sam Darnold and two first round picks this year or do you want zach wilson and nothing else like that's the decision they have to make and i would i mean you know i don't know justin fields i think will be better than zach wilson and you know if i was the jets that's who i'd go with you know even though you might ruin buddy's career or something <laughs> but zach wilson he doesn't have as much, you know, as an ego as Justin Fields does, which may be better for him. But, you know, I would 
that that proposal you made, I would probably go with uh, with Sam Darnold and the two picks. Yeah, it's just I mean, with those two picks, it depends on where you get them from and what kind of assets you can get out of it. But you know, I don't. If you get yeah. a Devonte Smith and a Sam Darnold, if you get to keep Sam Darnold, but get like you know Devonte Smith and somebody else and no lineman, maybe it's the better decision. But maybe it's worth it in the long run. I don't know. But last topic I have. Dallas Cowboys, number 10 overall. It's been a hot topic between at least our fan bases. Yeah. Who are they going to take at number 10? Because the way it's kind of it's looking to fall, that's a pretty, pretty, you know, solid piece of real estate when it comes to the draft. You can have, you know, the top I mean, if you look at the draft award, the top three can all be quarterbacks. And that leaves only six or no, seven picks, or no. Yeah, six before Cow- before the Cowboys. You have four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Those picks. There's only six players to take before the Cowboys. And, you know, you could maybe have someone like Kyle Pitts fall back number 10, or maybe not if maybe Penny Sewell doesn't fall back, but the number two lineman could. Or yeah. you still will have Patrick Sertan or the the cornerback from from Carolina was it J.C. Horn? J.C. Horn, that he guy could from also be Virginia there. Tech also has a yeah. little bit of stuff going on. There's tons of assets the Cowboys could take, and they have they have a pretty solid bunch of needs. You know, tight end's not one of their biggest needs per se. They have you know Blake uh, Dalton Schultz last year did phenomenal for him in absence of Blake Jarwin, who was our starter, who got hurt, and you know, solid, solid guy. He was I a mean, top half of the year. Still got a really studly receiving core. Exactly. I mean, you can add a tight end to it if you want. I mean, Kyle Pitts' pro day was amazing. from yeah. what I've seen. Well, the thing is, the thing with Kyle today, Pitts is, I think, yeah, it's not even just a tight end; it's a generation. This is a Travis Kelsey kind he's, of. Yeah, player. he's definitely you know, instead of being you know your regular tight end, say like Antonio Gates was, who was great in his own right, but he's not you know a receiving tight end like Travis Kelsey or George Kittle Mm -hmm. but Kyle Pitts is going to be more along the lines of that guy yeah and I mean if if the if the Cowboys were to get Pitts it's the same situation as when we got CeeDee Lamb last year it's like yes last year we could have got a safety or a cornerback to fix our defensive issues but we decided to go with the best player available Mm -hmm. which you know we don't really know how that would have worked out because Dak was hurt all last year we don't know the the full potential there's no point in drafting Kyle Pitts if Dak doesn't stay healthy in my opinion yeah I mean as for like we know Dak's looking like he's going to be completely fine to go he technically it's gonna be better than ever because he already had some some ripped up ligaments in his ankle anyway that they yeah. fixed so they're going to make him better than he was but we didn't get to see the full potential of the cowboys with that receiving core last year because dak was out so maybe skip out on pits and let's see what we can you know we get out of our receivers plus I think you know Sertan's going to get picked before you uh, before your pick yeah so i'd expect jc horn the fellow from Vatek, or maybe a you know second ranked offensive lineman because i would definitely expect pinna sewell to be gone as well yeah like like last like i'll say like last year with the cowboys there was two camps of people it was either after the draft it's like why did we draft cd lamb we need a defense or yes good we drafted cd lamb he was the best available we can fix defense later i think the, so the same thing's gonna happen this year if kyle pitt's I don't think he's going to fall. I think he's going to get taken maybe eighth or ninth right in front of us. But if he does fall, there's going to be the argument, do we take the best available again with Kyle Pitts and improve that offense just even more, or do we fix our defense right now? And last year I was on the C.D. Lamb camp. I thought we lost Randall Cobb as a slot guy. C.D. Lamb's a perfect fit. I didn't think our defense was that bad last year um, coming in, but I, we all know that was wrong with that. They're yeah. historically bad last year. But this year I'm on the camp of let's get the defense. Let's get – a compromise here at least because with Patrick Sertan he's not just like you know last year with the best safety overall was like Xavier McKinney and he wasn't really like a generational kind of talent he wasn't that amazing command yeah. Alabama and I don't even know I think he went to the Giants maybe and he didn't do anything very fantastic last Sounds year right. but Patrick Sertan he's amazing corner coming out of Alabama he's regarded as probably the best in the draft by far 
and we can pair him up with Trayvon Diggs, who was his teammate in Alabama for a few years. They'll get that brotherhood reunited, and they yeah. should be a solid tandem on the outside for us. Definitely have some good chemistry. Exactly. So I'm like, let's take Sertan at number 10 if he's available. If not, I get the J.C. Horn kid out of, out of South Carolina. Get those guys, pair him up, get a good secondary going. We'll get a safety um, at some point. We got, you know, we're looking to maybe get one in free agency. K.J. Wright for a linebacker out of Seattle. He's looking to maybe come to Dallas soon in free agency. So we'll improve our defense that way, but let's just get defense and O-line in the draft because O-line depth and defense is where we need to fix up. I definitely agree. That's probably the route y'all should take. Yeah, I think for like Kyle Pitts, I get it. He's a generational talent, but we already are going to have Blake, uh, Blake Jarwin coming back, and we didn't get to see a full season of him, but we, we're, Dallas is very confident, and from what I've seen from him, I'm very confident he can be a solid, solid tight end for us. You know, not the Kelsey level of guy, but he can be, you know, top 10 in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, if y'all were struggling for someone to catch balls, but, I mean, y'all got Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, mm-hmm. uh, and CD. CD so. so the tight end's going to be open because they got to cover those other three guys exactly. at some point. So we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. We'll have more draft talk. I want to get Chris, when he ever get back on the show, I want to hear really what he has to say about some of uh, the Darnold stuff because he's yeah. convinced they're taking, uh, they're going to take, not a quarterback because he wants he wants Justin Fields to go to those 49ers he wants them to succeed which you know if if the Cow if if Kentucky somehow had a quarterback that was going to get drafted top five yeah I want him to go to the best possible scenario too but I mean I feel I feel for him I was I was a Carolina Panthers fan when Cam Newton was ready to come out and <laughs> uh-huh. he went number one and you know it worked out for him to a certain extent so I was very happy you know then yeah. and as they were having success so now I don't know how you're feeling about Cam if the Patriots should draft a quarterback or not, but I mean, I still like Cam, but he's he's kind of lost his lost his stuff. He's definitely fallen off a little, a little bit, but anyway, uh, guys, that's gonna that's gonna do it for the show today. Chris, please come on. Hope you're doing good on your golf game. But uh, Liam, great to have you on uh, as as always. And again, this is two straight shows. It's been you and me, so uh, yeah, very fun. Lots that's of right. lots of race talk. Lots of race talk. Exactly what I was about to say. So uh, super fun. We'll have to wait a few more weeks before we can talk uh, NASCAR and F1 again. But guys. Hope you did enjoy the show. If you did and want to follow us on social media, feel free to do that. You can see video clips from the show, quotes, some of our predictions and stuff on there. So follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at OffTheBenchXLR as well. Check out our YouTube page, OffTheBench. You can find those links in our social media descriptions for Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Again, that is at OffTheBenchXLR. And as well, if you want to catch any previous podcast or this one, you want to get the beginning of it, be sure to check us out on our podcasting network. We are off the bench. We are on Instagram. Or Instagram. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find your podcast. Just look up off the bench. Look for the green, gray, white logo, and we are there. But anyway, guys, that is going to do it for us. So remember to stay in the game and off the bench and have a good night. <laughs>